Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. You're listening to the French Press Podcast, where we discuss events from our lives. Welcome to the French Press Podcast. This is episode 299. And it's Monday, October 7th, 2019. Hmm. Tis the season. Why would we record on a Monday? <laughs> why, would we, we would re- why would we record on a Monday? Uh, well, there's a couple of reasons uh, that we could possibly... It's, it's maybe we're gone tomorrow. Okay. Yep. Okay. Maybe Reason it doesn't two, work in our plans. Maybe we just felt like it. True. Maybe we were feeling uh, spontaneous. It's like normally if we'd feel like doing something, we would skip the podcast. That's true. Not record it a day early. <laughs> right. Or reason or number three. we're gearing up for a special episode, oh. and we're trying to release this one earlier because we're going to release the next one extra early. That's true. Because this episode is time sensitive because we do have a special guest. <gasps> Who? Katrina Hoover Lee, formerly known as Katrina Hoover, the author. Oh, thanks for the clarifier. I wasn't sure if it was Hoover Lee or Hoover Hover, Lee. Hoover Lee. <laughs> oh but yes, Katrina I, Hoover Lee is on the podcast. I am very excited to be here today because I do love talking about this character and this book that is just coming out this week. So. Oh, you and you wrote a book. Yeah. You just wrote it this past week. It's coming out this week. Oh, okay. So it's been a much longer process of about a year and two months, probably. So wow. wow. Katrina is author of um, several books. Uh, how many have you written so far? I think this is like the seventh. One. Yeah. So there's a number of them. So so you would have formally published them as Katrina Hoover. That's Are you right. planning on publishing this one as Katrina Hoover Lee or yes, just Katrina Lee? It does say that Katrina Hoover Lee. Okay. I, just because. Just to like get the Some familiarity, continuity. yeah, right, yeah. yeah I wasn't yeah. sure, yeah, how to sure. do that. But besides this book, what has been your favorite book that you've written before? Probably the most, um, the one that people uh, write me about the most is Blue Christmas. Um, it that one was more personal. It was a story about when I went to Haiti in 2010, the cholera epidemic, and so um, yeah. And I mean, for even for me, I think I enjoyed that one um, probably the most. So this is book number seven, you said. Yes. Is there something special or unique about this book that separates it from all the rest? There is, actually. It's the first historical fiction I've ever done. Really kind of the first fiction I've ever done, um, except for the very first one, which was just a small small thing. So so I've never done it before, and I kind of had to just dive in and and see how it would go. And I just loved it. Like, I feel like I kind of, like, this might kind of be what I enjoy the most as far as different genres of I see. So writing. so do you see yourself writing more books in well, this I'm genre? Well, actually, I'm actually working on another one right now. Oh, sweet. Um, which we definitely don't have time to get into. But, of course um, not. Yeah. It, so, yeah. They're hard. It's difficult. But um, it was it was really, I, I really loved it. We, uh, we need to cover a couple bases. Um, in case someone doesn't listen to the entire episode, there is a book signing this Friday. There is, and it's coming up very suddenly. So this, yeah, um, I wasn't even sure that we would have the books by this Friday. So it's um, it's kind of a last minute, last minute thing. Where, where is the book signing? It's um, in Napanee at Capus Commons. Um, okay. Actually, in the Light of Grace um, bookstore. Sure. So yeah. there's a like a Friday fest uh, festival yeah. for mm-hmm. the city going on anyway. So kind of. A, and what time can people stop by? It's five thirty to seven thirty. Okay. They're open late because of that. Because of that, yeah. Because they would normally close so. at five or something like that, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah I don't think they're usually on open. Fridays. Yeah, Coppice has some odd hours. Wow. I, I wish I'd know someone over there to maybe, you know, give my opinion about their hours and, and all mm. that. Yeah, well, anyway. I wonder uh, wonder if we would uh, know somebody that we could talk to about that. Can, um, can I ask a semi-awkward question? I don't, sure. Um, so you're doing a book signing. Mm-hmm. What, why would you say a book signing is, is like, a book signing I can understand it if if you've bought a book and you really, really like it, and then you go and meet the author. Mm-hmm. But has, is this book out? Is this book available? It is, is it for not. Sale? I don't even have a copy of it yet. So, actually. so why why should people go to your book signing 
instead of just as opposed to buying it online or or buying it from a book bookstore. It, it, you you know have a mean? good point about the terminology because I mean, in in another way, I think it's more of a book launch, like. The book is just out, okay. and I'm even using that word somewhat. Sure. But people are familiar with the idea of a book signing just because you, you buy the book, and then you get it signed right away while the you know the author is there. Mm -hmm. It's just gotcha. It's sort of a thing. It's kind of like a premiere it's not... for, for a book. Okay. I'm only asking, not because I think it's a dumb idea. Right. I'm just not a bookworm. Right. I think like, people that like are avid readers, I think they'd be like, well, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, th this is totally normal. I just, I just, I just wanted enlightenment. Right, and there's, I mean, I, it's, a, it's a digital age, so you're, mm -hmm. uh, you're, yeah, yeah. Okay. Speaking it's of digital content, have you, have you ever, or will you ever consider releasing audiobook versions of any of your books? This, one, this one was actually in in um, discussion with a publisher about doing okay. an audiobook, and sure. my husband Marnell has a friend who who had said he could do it. Um, they told me up front though that. It, First of all, it's a long book, so it's like 12 hours or something if you read oh, wow. it, which yeah. makes wow. it more expensive for them. Yeah. And sure. um, plus they they were like, well, they haven't been super profitable for them in the past. And so I think sure. that – so I don't think they're going to do it with this one. Now, mm -hmm. I debated – we debated actually doing it just privately. Um, sure. I would have to ask them for the rights to the audio in order to do that. Gotcha. It would be an investment. Yeah, it's so, interesting. So I don't own the book. Yeah. What? The wow. World? You so, don't do you own get, the book that you wrote. But do you authors get paid? never do if they go through a publisher. Okay. Yeah. But you get paid additional though if a certain number of copies or more copies. A royalty. Sell. Yeah. That's that's really interesting because photographers, like, the person who presses the shutter on a camera Has is ha, is the one who owns the image regardless. Yeah. Like they they trump everything when it comes to image rights unless they sign their image rights away. So even if they give it to the New York Times or something, yeah. if they like, okay, yeah. that makes sense. I didn't realize. And like, that, like but... if you're working for the New York Times, obviously those people they'll have a contract with the New York Times that says New York Times has full permission to use any photos in any way with this amount of compensation. Okay. But like, if if somebody else would, like the New York Times couldn't sell that image to somebody else without the photographer's permission, mm -hmm. which is really interesting, unless they specifically had rights to do so. The one thing with publishers is there's a lot of upfront cost that they put out for a book, and so that's the advantage as a writer. I don't have to worry about that. I don't mm -hmm. even have to... I love talking about this book, and so I love doing stuff like this or like doing a book signing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't put that much money in my pocket or maybe mm -hmm. not even any additional money than if I would not do it, uh -huh. but versus... If I self-published, it would be different. Right. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I don't have to worry about it because mm -hmm. they're going to send it to 400 stores. You know, like right. the, the and so you can make a case either way. Right. But I do. It is really nice to have a publisher and and it I lets teach, you concentrate yeah. on writing. Yes, yeah. it does. That's cool. So if someone is not going to be in Napanee, not in the area, and they do want to buy the book. When and where will they be able to buy it? I think by Friday for sure I'll have links to post, um, which Friday is the day of the book signing. Um, I'm going to post those on my website as soon as I um, as soon as soon I get them. The two, I think the two main places that you would buy them from online would be from Amazon. I think they'll be posting it there. And then also from TGS International is the website for the publisher. Okay. Um, my website, katrinahuberly.com, would also have the links to those as soon as I get them. Okay. I don't sure. have them yet. So. Um, and something else we didn't cover. Katrina has been on the podcast before. Episode yeah. 113, before you went to Libya or Le Lebanon. And Jordan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's right. And that was for another book, right? It was. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Was that on, on was that episode the one where you shared about the weird happenings at the nursing home? Or have you been on is this the third time you're on the I podcast. doubt that was the one. I'd have to look back, but I okay. that was a different era of my okay. life. That so. might be in the Lost Archives. <laughs> before episode 70 that. something. I almost forgot that I had shared it. Are you sure I shared it on the podcast about the nursing home? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't remember it. I'll be honest. It might have been. It was before my time. It was probably <laughs> Kyle. I think Kyle was in the on the episode as well. Okay. Wow. Was he was he the the third the yeah. the third host? Yeah. Man, too bad we don't have an air table with all our. Um, I know all the yeah. the data. All right. Data. <laughs> so, Katrina, we definitely want to talk about this character and the book and, and what's interesting and compelling about this story. Mm -hmm. But you said this is a new type of book that you've written, um, mm -hmm. historical fiction. Mm -hmm. That's what you called it. Yes. How did that? Uh, how did that happen? Um, well, 
basically the publisher sent me a list that one of their historians had put together of just some ideas. They do inspirational Christian stories, generally about maybe Christians in communist countries or missionaries or uh, that kind of thing. And they sent me a list. And on the list was this description. I'll just read it quickly. It's like a couple sentences. Nicholas Garrison, 1701 to 1781, a boy from Staten Island, New York, born to an impoverished family. He was sent out to sea as a young teenager, lived a wild and difficult life until he met Moravian pilgrims, was converted, became the captain of the Moravian ship that took many mission workers to Greenland, South America, Pennsylvania, and other places. Um, and then he says a truly fascinating story. Much could be done with this. I just thought it sounded interesting. I liked it, and I picked it. Um, although most of the ones on the list would have been historical fiction type of books, because back in 1701, there's no way I'm going to be able to find enough information yeah. to actually, well, not on someone that wasn't like a world uh, king or yeah, you know right, a very right. very prominent figure. Mm -hmm. So. So that's where it came from, just a list of ideas. And so I, how do you even start writing a book like that if you don't know well, that, I, that much about them? <laughs> I Googled him first just mm -hmm. to see if anything comes up. And he, he did. I mean, it's it's uh, it's not a lot. Um, and you have to put there, – there's another Nicholas Garrison. I don't know if I ever determined who it was, but more modern who comes up as well. But if you put in 1701 to 1781, you get like something maybe on Ancestry.com or something from the Moravian mm -hmm. – yeah, a website or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they were like the first missionaries of all Christian churches, basically, the Moravian um, really? Moravian community group. It was like a new idea back then. People didn't do missionaries. Mm -hmm. um, and they kind of came up with it, like, let's go tell other people in other countries about Christ. It was wow. the and first time it happened, I, I think. Uh, wow. Yeah. Did they start here in America or did they start over in Europe? Germany. Um, in Germany. Germany is where they began as a group okay. and then they spread out and so he actually picks up a missionary in his in his sailing, you know, up the east coast, up the Atlantic coast. Mm -hmm. He just cuz they were out there um, you know, uh, spreading the gospel to the like West Indies islands and that kind of thing. Sure. So that's where he intersected with So with so I'm them. curious backing up a little bit to the to the whole book writing process. So so, like, what kind of contract or deal do you do you make with a publisher before you even like start writing a book? Like, mm -hmm. like, so you choose to to write the content that they want you to write, right? And then, like, you just say, "Hey, I'm going to write this. I hope you like it. And if you don't like it, what happens?" Okay, um, I have a relationship with them already, so that's different, probably, mm -hmm. than if you would just be starting with a new publisher you've never met before or right. the publisher with a new um, author. But um, they do send me a contract, which I do need to read and sign. And it does say if we get it and we don't like it, um, it's off, you know, or, right. or sure. that kind of thing. Because it, it's ultimately, that's the disadvantage of a publisher. You have to write what they kind of want and they can change it. They can change You have to write what sells. right. Exactly. They can change your content, too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, and I, you know, I, even the very beginning of this book, I, I I thought I liked my opening, and they were like, well, and we kind of went back and forth with it and basically went with their idea. And I, it, so the other thing is I So did you rewrite that according okay. to them, or do they just, like, kind of do whatever they want? Um, some of each. I rewrote it, I think, primarily, but they're... A head editor will also. So you make say changes. the beginning part changes as far as like the opening, like setting. Like, did you maybe start? I my original. I think my original one had quite a bit of um, kind of background, like historical stuff, which I thought was really cool. And then, then I think I decided to change it to more action, like just take off from the beginning with a like he he was breaking into a building or something as a young boy, and then um, I think. For some reason, they weren't quite sure about. The, I think we kind of went with a something in between those two. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I almost don't remember all the different steps because it's been a number of months or whatever mm -hmm. since we. Um, but that is one thing you have to know as a writer and author is you have to be okay with uh, the publisher or the, your editor. People always hate. You know, or when I hear people say, you know, my editor doesn't understand me. They don't understand how great I am. It's just like you know what. It's the editor's there for a reason, and you have to yeah. be okay with. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So are we? Are we ready to like 
Ready to dive in? Are we going to dive in or are we going to talk about the coffee first so that we can do a better dive once we actually launch into the book? I guess we can because this coffee is actually relevant. The The person who, who gave us this coffee mm-hmm. is a sister. It's from the West Indies. Is a sister-in-law oh. uh-huh. to three of us. Ooh. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well put. So uh, my wife, Carmen... And Lane's wife, Carrie, their sister, Jen, which is Jen's... My husband's brother's wife. Yeah. Oh, wow. Nice. A couple of loops so there's a through. sister-in-law and then a sister-in-law-in-law. Yeah. But Wow. Sure. Thanks, Jen. This is really good coffee. I, uh, it is. It's it is. flavored yeah. coffee. I like it. So what is it called? Mm. I need to rate this on the it air table. It smells... I looked at the name and now I forget what it even was. It smells like it should taste stronger than it does you're saying the flavor mm-hmm. should taste strong yeah the, the smell scent, the, the smell is, is yeah the aroma is definitely more than what you actually taste but the the, the flavor is there too the aroma it's is pumpkin strong spice. with this one hmm. the cinnamon I, I don't normally like cinnamon and i'm pretty sure there's some cinnamon this is there. like exactly what i want my fall themed latte to smell like and taste like Pumpkin spice. Or like, yeah. It's a good flavor. I like the fact that it has that strong aroma, but then it's pretty mild. I mm-hmm. mean, I I don't almost like the super spicy mm. flavors. But yeah, this is a Main Street Roasters coffee. Mm-hmm. And so if you want the coffee, you can buy it from their website, MainStreetRoasters.com. Mm. I'm, I'm going to give this a three because it's, it's flavored and I really don't care for the flavor that much. If I want flavored, I'll put pumpkin spice creamer in here. That's that's just my long-standing opinion. But as far as flavors go, it's it's a pretty decent flavor. I, I wouldn't it's complain not... if somebody served this to me at their house. No, I, actually, I wouldn't complain anyways. But I would still drink this in the other coffees. <laughs> I was I was inside, just... inside, you'd complain. Though. Inside, I'd complain. I'd just probably not drink it. But this, I would drink. Would you complain if someone served you Das Bog coffee uh probably because they would be doing it maliciously and they'd actually want the reaction that co- yeah that coffee is so bad that you have to intentionally you have to be intentionally rude yeah to your, to your guests or like playing a prank on them it's so bad there, there's a coffee we tried a few weeks ago and it is mm. the worst coffee it's I've offensively ever, bad it oh, is wow. it's, it's so bad Boy, i thought i could handle anything basically but that sounds bad well Just... spencer thought it was bad hmm. and spencer gave it to us a coworker Spencer. Coworker Spencer gave it to us knowing that it was bad solely for the uh, concept, of, solely because he wanted to get a reaction. And listen to you on the podcast. Yeah. So, yeah okay, I see. Katrina, he knew it was so bad. We keep <laughs> records and tracks of the different coffees. Right. Uh, in order to keep things consistent, we don't allow guests to actually enter in the data, but you can offer like how many stars I you would still, get. Yeah. So five. it's out of five. It's out of okay, five, I wasn't yeah. sure if you were going out of five or out of ten there, yeah, yeah, right. when you said three, and I thought yeah. that was... Um, we, we thought a five-star system would be simpler. No, this so. is definitely a five for me because oh, I, wow. I love... No, yeah. Do you like flavored coffee? I do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, and here again, like and it is good. I give it a three yeah. stars, and it's so, definitely. So I give we're, it a four. We're at a we're at a three point three out of five. I average. Feel, I feel that's pretty good, and that's that's a fair that's a fair for it. Uh, just just slightly above average. So, all right. Do you want us to throw questions at you, or do you want to? Well, sure. Do you have okay. any questions off the top? I mean, I. Um... What kind of person is Nicholas Garrison? Well, that's what's so interesting is because. Um, uh, you know, all I had was a, he wrote the, all the Moravians wrote before they died about five pages or seven pages or whatever about their life. Okay. And so I do have that, Sweet. and that was a that's a primary document, so written by the person who actually. So that's reliable. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't have a lot. But so anything else I found, I had to measure by what he said, because if he said it, then I had to take that as obviously right the last word. And and were they, I mean, were they typically known as being honest in their writing, or were they? Did they have a, a reputation of? The Moravians? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I wouldn't think that the honesty would be in question. Now, maybe they tended to, um, I, I think it was to be read at their funeral. So I think they tended to focus on the things that had happened in their time in the church. So, like, he doesn't say much about his younger years, gotcha. for example. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the first half of the book um, is, I mean, that's where the fiction, where you kind of just have to fill in the. Yeah, yeah. sure. 
fill in the gaps. So, so I, I have two questions. I think Lane, Lane still yeah. had one. I, well, okay. in that case, based on what the historical writings that you've read, mm-hmm. but then also, I guess, the, the filling in and the imagining of your mind, mm-hmm. what kind of person? Okay, I, yeah, I'm sorry I didn't get to your question okay, there. Okay. He, I do think it's uh, safe to say that he was very sensitive and very um, intelligent. He... Um, he was a, a captain, and I am trying to think now. I do think I actually got some sources. Well, other Moravians writing about him mm-hmm. said things like that he always knew where they were on the globe, okay. um, which was mm. not a small thing at that time. They didn't right. even have a way of measuring longitude at that time, mm. which oh, was a big um, yeah. I, literally, this is a little rabbit trail. I just love it. But the Queen of England offered twenty thousand pounds, which I forget how many millions of dollars that would be today, to anyone who could solve the longitude problem of figuring out longitude because yeah. they couldn't do it because their clocks wouldn't keep time at sea, and people would end up wow. thinking they were, you know, here, and actually they're here, and there's a, right. a, a rocky coast they can't see or underneath, yeah. and crash. And wow. so, in about 1707, four huge warships went down. Um, well, there were four of them together. Maybe two went down, but 2,000 men were lost, um, 1706 maybe, at that time. And so that was a big push th- through his whole life that was going on. But anyway, he had a reputation for knowing where they were. Um, yeah. But he also records himself about just different times through his life where he wept through the night or, you know, um, different times that he cried when something happened. And so I do see him as a really sensitive person, too, okay. <laughs> to the point where the publishers said that they they wanted to back some of that off because they didn't think that was super masculine, which I think was the, the right call just mm-hmm. from the readers. Um, but I was basically just going by what he had said right. himself sure. about, you know, the tough times that he went through. Mm-hmm. Was he a – was he married? Yes. Yeah, okay. he had 12 children. Wow. Um and this is going to be interesting how much I should, you know, give away. But um, I think, well, maybe I shouldn't even say that. But anyway, a number of them mm-hmm. died. At, and at that time, that was normal. You know, people yeah. would die of smallpox and diphtheria and all the things that they, you know, couldn't What's the percentage of kids that lived? Uh, less than 50%. Um, wow. Which, wow. that's kind of, yeah, but... It was sorry. Did you give away too much? Well, it's okay. I don't mind. I don't mind giving some, you know, stuff yeah. um, away too because it's just part mm-hmm. of the story. So okay. So so without trying to deviate too much from where we are right now, I just want to pause and say two questions. Question number one uh, is: Is this book? I'm looking at the cover. A picture of the cover here. Mm-hmm. Is the book targeted like towards a specific age range, or is it meant for all people? And yeah. is it part of a set? Of books, it looks almost like the cover mm-hmm. would be long to a set of books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting idea. I would say, as far as the um, target audience, that I would really um, that maybe I was writing for, in, in my very heart of hearts, would be like a, a teenager or young adult, um, and it's going to be um, it is. A missionary story, especially toward the end. So it, it would be um, maybe people that, well, it's also a lot of action. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they run into pirates and, and things like that. But um, mm-hmm. so I think people that at least know something or grew up in, in church or know something about Christianity would be the, the target audience. But mm-hmm. I, I think a teenagers and, and young adults should um, should be able to, um, it's not graphic. I mean, he got into a lot of trouble in his life, but it's, it's not graphic or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also it's for adults too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I did yeah. try to gear it a little younger maybe than I had some of my sure. in the past. Yeah. Well, and the only reason I asked that is just like, I know, I know some, some of these types of books are just like geared like, like it's definitely something that an adult can read and enjoy, but they're like really geared towards a younger audience. And, um, and so they use like really simple sentence structure in, in words and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. it's that, not really simple. That's for sure. So that's why I say teenager yeah, rather than yeah. like a middle grade, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, but he does start off as a young boy too. Mm-hmm. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Do you have a, a writing tool that tells you the writing level? Like I know, uh, 
Hemingway app is an online editor that you can type things in and tell you, oh, this, your, your writing's at a seventh grade level. Or at... That's a great idea. I should have tried that. I mean, I never really thought about trying think, a, an app Microsoft like that. Microsoft Word has that built in, too. Mm. Although I'm not sure how great say. it is. I use it for work just because uh, for product descriptions, you want it to be about as simple as possible. Like a sixth grade level or yeah. something. Uh, yeah. Don't we go less, like a third grade level? <laughs> it goes and it, it goes by length of sentences and... Compound, compl- complexity number, of words, yeah. Yeah, number of syllables and such. Yeah. And anyways, and then, then my second question, does it belong to a set or is it supposed it to belong not. to a set? The, that was the, the one big struggle I had with it was trying to figure out if, if, it, if it was actually two stories because the, the one – he his younger life he had a lot of tension in trying to find himself and just mm-hmm. um being uh haunted by his younger brother's death and which he tried to forget and tried to just um you know trying to please his father and not really being able to and seeking and seeking and then kind of midway he picks up this missionary sees something mm-hmm. in him that you know that he wants for himself and so it does shift a little bit um, mm-hmm. After he comes to the Lord, and and um, so I was like, well, should it actually be two books? Mm-hmm. You know, is it this and then this? But um, and I yeah. like this part of it in that when you come to the Lord, it's not like your life just gets perfect and and is always mm-hmm. is just good after that. And so he does meet up with a lot of things um, beyond that that are challenging and and stressful. But it's almost a little bit. Um, less tension maybe and that that mm-hmm. bothered me i was like well is it gonna does it kind of drop off there but i think it's also realistic to to what yeah um to what life is like and I, people read books for for the tension tension and for the drama obviously mm-hmm. too so i did try to keep that keep that in but sure. i feel like it's a little bit of a, a shift but it's one book right now and mm-hmm. i he dies at the yeah. end, so no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, Spoiler! The only, the only reason I, I asked mean, that was man. because of yeah. like the like the design of the front cover, like the title and the and the date at the top, almost makes it look like like they would format a series of other books in similar fashion, you yeah. know, because it kind of it kind of like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, just kind of like intuitively thinking the just the way that the title and date are formatted yeah. mm-hmm. would like it kind of reminded me of of those those blue books that are about like the childhood biographies of historical figures mm-hmm. um mm. but there's like a set of them and they would say yeah. like like the title and then like a date or something like oh you mean you know. like maybe another person yeah in the yeah. same series yeah that kind of thing hmm or maybe yeah. they would like intend to someday do that. Maybe, or maybe this is just you know the the publisher's mm-hmm. format that they, they like. They had two options. The other one had more of a pirate look with a parchment um, parchment title, which I thought looked really great. And actually, one of the um, <laughs> the boys that's staying with us right now, thirteen year old, he looked at it, and he was um, he said, well. I think he liked it, but he said that captain on the picture looks more cleaned up. He doesn't look like a pirate. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. fit, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there, and he had a point with that. Um, and I'd rather have people look at a book like that and think, oh, it's just a, uh, you know, cleaned up captain. There's not going to be anything interesting. And then actually read it and uh, find out that there is a pirate battle yeah. and he's actually swimming away for his life and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, then, then be try to sell it as being really um, a swashbuckler type of yeah. story, mm-hmm. and then have it not be that. Right. And they, so, so do you had say in the in the design of the cover? Yeah, or they like asked the, the for picture? my opinion. Okay. it's not like I can be the final word, but right. I was sure. I was good with it. But yeah. you didn't source your own graphics or anything for that, like you know. No, and that's yeah. actually a um, that um, drawing. It's an original drawing, but he the artist. It was. I should have written his last name down because I didn't uh, know it. Peter, I'll have to find it. Um, but he looked at the, there's one painting of Nicholas from okay. the 1700s. He looked at that. And when, when I look at it, knowing the picture of Nicholas, um, it's very good. Wow. It's, yeah. it's very like It, um, it seems to be like uh, like some, some uh, book covers that are like this, the faces are sometimes a little misproportioned or look... Kind of unrealistic, look a little comic-y, but this actually does look pretty legitimately realistic, like with mm-hmm. the shading and, and the proportions of the faces and things like that. All right, let's keep on. But anyways, keep on moving. that's a that's a bunny trail. Um, all right, 
sidetracked it, bunny trailed. Um, so did, you had you had going. some you had some notes that you said that you wrote down like like as far as the challenges and parts that you really liked and disliked about writing the book and yeah and so we are hitting some of those as we talk uh-huh. yeah. um, too. What question were you going to ask, Ruben? Because I I was actually going to ask you kind of how if you're perspective on life changed at all after doing the research and reading this book like you've like what changed in you after researching and writing this hmm that is a very good question and I it's funny because I do feel like the story is really I feel like I know this person Mm -hmm. I mean Uh I you 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 really get involved as a um just as a writer especially when you're trying to think inside someone's head like what would they have um wanted to do and I guess I was really inspired by the Moravians a lot of their practices are okay like a lot of the things that the Mennonites do today um, we might think are sort of outdated or that we just came up with it or whatever and looking back at the Moravian church they were doing a lot of the same things that we are today because they looked at the Bible and Mm -hmm. and um, found that that's what the Bible said Mm -hmm. so I I found myself inspired um, from the church itself um, but just the, I don't know, the struggle of someone trying to find their place in the world and mm-hmm. um, the emotional. He was very emotional, and it's just a relief. It's almost more like maybe rather than changing my life, I almost feel relieved for him, even though he's obviously gone. But just seeing his transformation mm-hmm. and even reading it in his, the way he found Christ to be with him. And, I mean, they were thrown into a Cuban um prison basically and didn't know if they would ever get out alive um and one night i think that's the time he said he cried for basically three nights straight and they were put with just awful other characters in there Mm -hmm. and finally on the third night i think it was um god just came to him in such a sense of peace and and like he just was a different man the next morning and he was totally Wow. Um, mm-hmm. content and shared with the men and they actually listened um it was it was a great great wow. moment so little things like that just um yeah what happened to the moravian church i mean I, I don't hear much about it if ever before you mentioned this book yeah they are um still in existence um they um i feel like they're as a community they actually did community living where everybody lived in the same uh, building stuff like that, um, a little bit like the Hutterites maybe, and that once they moved on from that, and they, they it, to me it feels like they did move a little bit away from like some of the biblical. Um, they just kind of <clears throat> let up on some of those stipulations, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so, but they the um, out in Pennsylvania, they they still have a very um, a big church and. Yeah, are they I, still focused on missions yes, as much? Yes, yes. Okay. That, from what I can tell, they <clears throat> they are, and they still do some of the trademark things they did way back then. Um, as far as um, love feasts, they would have like a big communion deal mm. and and share food and make it kind of a celebration. They were very much musical. They played musical instruments and um, things like that. So do they do they regard? Um, sorry, Nicholas Nicholas Garrison as like a big. <laughs> figure in their background they do there's actually a musical in my research i found that there's a musical out about him i'd love to go see it i don't know what they did with it but um and then when i called the historical society the other day just to um you know let them know about the book then i i said you know it's about nicholas garrison and then i thought well i should add that he was the sea captain back in the 1700s and she's like oh yeah 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 you know like like she obviously everyone knows that no this is a historical person for the Moravians yes. or just in general? For that, well, for the Moravians, okay. but Nazareth and Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, both big towns today, were started by the Moravians. And okay. so... Did you visit any Moravian church or people? We did. I mean, we were out in Bethlehem and okay. um, got to see... I mean, and there are buildings that Nicholas was in himself at in 1740 that are oh, still wow. standing. Wow. Uh, we also went to Staten Island um, where he grew up, and there's like one... Uh, building there too that was there when he wow when he lived there mm. so he may have been in it um wow hmm. so that was fun the, yeah. the research part was did you did you find that when, when you actually went to the places that you could did you somehow feel closer mm-hmm. to, to nicholas garrison like to knowing him better 
I did. And you have to really, I had to discipline myself to try to peel away the the layers of years and, and try to um, imagine, okay, what was here in 1740? Mm-hmm. What what of what I'm seeing here was, was here then? Mm-hmm. Um, and he lived actually in Europe for a while and then came back to Bethlehem. And he named his favorite spot over the river after the town in Germany where he had lived. Niski was the town. And you go there today, and the cemetery is called Niski Hill Cemetery. Oh, wow. And so, you know, I that could give me a concrete place of where Is he that where went. he was buried? It was not where he was buried. It okay. is a cemetery now, but at that time they had their own little smaller one. Okay. Um, <clears throat> up on the hill. So interestingly, side note, very short side note. Mm-hmm. I was just reading a little bit on the Moravians and found mm-hmm. out that their graveyards, um, <clears throat> they're not buried by family, but but they're married by uh, by age, gender, and marital status. Mm-hmm. But they're not. It's not by family. So that was quite interesting. And to the point, I think, where they would bury them by the place that they sat in church. So, well, the ladies would sit on one side, the men on the other, and then, like, the young people in one. You know, they kind of went by that. that, Mm -hmm. um, And their houses would be that way, too. That's maybe more of how it was. But they had the single sister's house and the married men's house or whatever. Wait, so they, the married men, or what do you mean? (laughs) So the married family, the the family. Well, no, I I think there was a short time where where they actually had a married men's house. And, but. Interesting. (laughs) I know, it was weird. And then they did switch to to families. Okay. um, More so, but yeah. That's just the way they did it back then. It takes a village. Yeah. (laughs) And they had the children, you know, the school where the children would all, different people would, yeah. It was definitely a community. What are atmosphere. a couple interesting things about the Moravians, either about how they were buried or how they lived, or just some other interesting? Well, now that we're on that topic, I'm afraid this may be my one mistake in the book, and this is just what kills me. You know, once it's out, it's out. But his good friend died in Bethlehem in January, I think. And so I talk about how he went to the funeral, and he was mm-hmm. old at the time, too, and thinking about, you know, he'll probably be the next one. And um, later, I found out that they actually had like a corn crib type thing that they would put bodies in in the winter and then bury them in the spring. Really? So I'm like, oh, because they couldn't break the ground. I bet they didn't actually have a, a have a burial in January. Yeah. So there's some. So you think like it's that. probably historically inaccurate. I'm not sure. I mean, I think there'd be a case to make it could have been warmer. I mean, I, I sure. don't know. But it hmm. that that makes me nervous, and there, yeah, I'm sure there'll be. Well, what do you do? I mean, publish a second edition, you know. Yeah, I even put my email at the end, and I said, for one thing, there's a lot of German documents. They spoke oh, German. There's yeah. a lot of German documents. I said I do not read German, and um, you know, if there's any conflicting research, please email me. And yeah, did you? Um, how much of the part where the paper that he wrote himself? How much of that is in the book or referenced in the book? Um. So I tried to stick with it. I didn't quote him usually. I, it is at the end of the book, so people can read it. Okay. Oh, so right. did you, you so actually included the real... It is in the end, yeah. okay, and good. so the pressure's on for me to make sure, because it happened a few times, and this was one of my difficulties, um, that there was. there's a scene where he says, I'll just read it, it's two sentences. Like I said, he didn't write much about his life before he came to Christ, and so, but he does say this. He says, um, there was one time in particular when I swam to another ship in order to escape, and I was nearly drowned. I had to conceal myself on the new ship until it sailed into open sea. So I'm like, okay, he's saying there was one time in particular, so obviously this was a big deal. But then I had to read between the lines and figure out, what actually happened like were Mm -hmm. they at a poor how did he get captured you know what and so i wrote something where pirates attacked and then he escaped from the pirate ship and swam back to the ship that he had been on then i went back and looked at it again and it says i had to conceal myself on the new ship and i'm like okay this was a ship he had never been on before so i had to rework my entire Mm. uh yeah chapter to to Ugh. try to be more wow. accurate to what <laughs> I mean it's just two sentences but there's a lot that that it doesn't fit with I mean yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you still have to create a, a scene that 
Wow, that is interesting. Huh. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting. So yeah. do you do you reference that the his writing there kind of throughout the story, like bits and pieces here and there throughout the book? I don't mention it just because it would not seem natural, I don't think, to say, you know, after he died. You know, as, as a young man, I can't really say after he died, he wrote this. And okay. it's from his perspective. So the entire book is through his eyes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I do, at the end of his life, say that he started working on this document, you know, and thinking about all the things he had been through and mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Yeah. But... So what was like your your favorite part of of the entire book? Like uh, maybe it was a part of like the research that you did, like some discovery you made, or one great moment was when I emailed the Germany um, Moravian Archives, and because that's where it all kind of began, and he lived there for a long time, mm. and I asked him, you know, for any information. It's mostly in German, and they didn't get back for months. I think the one time. Um, but then one time, someone, he just emailed me back and he said, well, I do have this one uh, letter here on my desk and scanned it in. I don't know how it was just on his desk, but he sent it and it's actually a handwritten letter by Nicholas Garrison. Like it's signed by him. And so I don't think it's a copy. I think it's actually, mm-hmm. it wow. might like be a copy, legit. but I think it's actually what he wrote about a horrible storm that they had hmm. been through. And it's in English. He did both. He would really? write in German and in English, so that was a mm-hmm. real find. You can barely read it. I mean, I... So you have was a copy I, of it? I do have a copy of it, yeah. Um, and it's... Oh, wow. I, um, I got most of it. I, I hmm, might have to search. Oh, here it is. Um, like, I'll just give you a, each a section of it here, and you're wow. going to look at it and wonder if it's in English, basically, probably. Um, here's another... So it's written in like, oh, this is like the real fancy cursive, too. Oh, it's just what they used back then. And he had wrote in straight lines. At, but they all, you know, were talented at, at that handwriting because that's what they... It is this, hard, it's hard to This read. looks like my grandpa's <laughs> handwriting. Except my grandpa's handwriting is, is, is like this, but about half the size. So it's way harder to read. Harder to read. So that's, that's incredible <laughs> that... He was able to freehand. No, th- right th- that this still that this survived, oh. and that you were able to, to find right. this. Right. Wow. You know, I used to think. I mean, it's easy to think that old papers and documents are totally boring, but man, when you really want to find something and it's not there, I, I'm like, you know, just anything, like just even a even yeah. a just any paper that he wrote or would give me so much insight. And so when I got this one, and the other thing was they also sent me. This was the. Um, archives in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, who were very, very helpful. Um, I want to go out there again, but they um, sent me a diary that someone else had written on one of the sea voyages. Oh, oh wow. And this was just great because I had come up with my own detail that Captain Garrison's wife did not like to be on the sea because she got sick. I, I just, I made that, it fit, mm-hmm. and because she didn't go with him much, and when she did go to Europe, she stayed there, even though some of the boys were back in Bethlehem, and, but it was still a, just a good guess. Well, in that, um, in that diary, it says, after a few days, we all started feeling better, except for Captain Garrison's wife. <laughs> I was just like... That is really neat. Wow. It could have easily been the other way that it said that she was the only one that didn't get sick, and had, and then I would have had to rework everything because if I do come across a detail like that, I have to go with it. You know, Mm -hmm. I can't. Sure. Yeah. You want to stay true to what you can. Exactly. To the time period and to the, and to what I do have. So. Wow. Um, the um, how are we doing on time? I. Uh, We've got. Yeah. A little over 10 minutes left over. Okay. Um, I was just going to mention the one bad uh, thing that happened is his, um, in my research, Captain Garrison's sons um, were artists, especially the one, and drew, like, drawings of the ship. In fact, I've got it here, and I um, just, you know, great pick. I thought, oh, that's neat. You know, his his, his actual son. His son drew that. Yeah, right. And isn't it good? I mean, there's the waves and all this. Um, My husband, Marnell, and I, when we went to Staten Island, I was like, okay, I need to know more 
about the sea and ships and where can I find somebody? And, you know, at least we're here in New York where mm-hmm. it happened. So we went to like a sailor's club, yacht club type thing. And this is the thing I love about research. I mean, it's it's really nerve wracking to just walk in somewhere and say, hi, you know, can I ask you some questions? But it often works, you know. Yeah. And so we just went in and I've got some video of it. It's just fantastic. But the guys were so interested and I had a little model of a ship and they were showing me stuff. And then I pulled this out as we were about to leave. I'm like, yeah, actually, I've got, you know, this picture. And uh, the one guy took it and looked at it and he's like, this is all wrong. And then he said, this is backwards. These these sails need to be the other way. And then he turned, showed it to the other guy and uh, he's like, oh, yeah. And uh, my husband, Marnell, said, um, well, you know, there was, to me, kind of, he's like, wasn't there a time when they almost wrecked on the rocks? And and the one guy said, well, this would be the time. (laughs) (laughs) But they were just Uh. like, so then I was like, okay, so, you know, maybe he didn't know the technical. I don't know. I still can't tell for sure by looking at this, what's wrong with it. Mm -hmm. But um, is that picture in the book? Well, this one isn't. He did do another drawing of a ship, which is in. Okay. I told him, I'm like, I don't know if I want to put this one in because if a real sailor can look at it and say it's not right, I just, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It probably would have been sure. fine. I don't think but, they put it in. I Yeah, they used the other one, I'm okay. pretty sure. But, but you're thinking you wouldn't want it in there because because it might be wrong. It almost it reflects not... negatively on the artist, I think, if it's not but how, but right. are you certain that it was his son that wrote it? If it, if it was wrong, does it make you question if he actually if if he not wrote it, if he drew it? I mean, no, there's no question that he drew it. It's on the okay picture. I think. I mean, they they well, keep very good track of these paintings. I mean, I probably no. should have. We probably should have put it in. I don't well, know. At least have it, it have it on your website. I'll or post somewhere it. Yeah, that's, that's a good that's really idea. Mm. But that was that was a fun experience, but also kind of like a oh you know <laughs> yeah. a, a disappointment yeah. that sure it wasn't gonna. As far as speaking of Marnell, that was just so fun, too. Like when I wrote before, I was single and it was just so fantastic to to, you know, he would sometimes he would remote into work here mm-hmm. um, at home. But other times he'd go along and we would do stuff together. And he, he was very interested in it, too. And it mm-hmm. just works so much better with two people because he would run the video or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. While we were doing it. So, yeah. Anyway, um as far as my ultimate most fun part, and we've got a little audio clip for that, so um, I don't know. Um, we did go to Bethlehem to the grave where he was buried, and you can go online and you know look people's um, graves up. It's called uh, Find a Grave or something. So I knew he was there, um, but we couldn't find him. And we were walking around the graveyard looking, and... I was just a little disappointed. I mean, it's not like I had to find the grave because I I was pretty sure they were right. But, you know, if it's not there, it's not there or whatever. Um, And then um, we actually have audio. I walked over to a tree. I forget almost where it breaks in there. But we walked over to a tree and I I just started digging, trying to scrape away. I think I looked and it looked like stone underneath or something. And I also saw this was like half an hour into our search that he died in 1781 so this was the row of 1781 people and so just just go ahead and play that audio okay. I, I can't quite remember and where it, it breaks if you in. want to pause if you want to pause yeah, it, just I'll, tell me I'll pause tell it. <clears throat> so uh okay here we go you can hear me scraping the trying to scrape off the um any words that one can well, dig this up. one says 1781 but so are the others Oh, just pause it for one second so I can tell you who that's. We had a historian. His name is Peter Hoover. A lot of people know him. I, Are you related to him? I don't know. I'm not. Oh, but okay. um, he's very interested. He's not Hooverly. <laughs> well, no, I guess not. <laughs> uh, but he came with this big abrasion on his elbow, which he had gotten the previous week falling in a cemetery. So he's like a diehard. I mean, he just loves like digging into the past and oh, whatever. Wow. So <laughs> keep uh, keep going there. So his name is Garrison, so yeah. I think this is him. Look at this. 
It says Garrison. I do believe it does say that. Are you serious? <laughs> and he was so, like, cool. energetic about that it. That is Nicholas. so amazing. Nicholas. That is it. Okay. So you actually persisted. I didn't persisted. even see a stone here right at first, and I just went to my foot. I'm like, I think there's stone under I'll, here. I wonder. the right time frame, because the others are 1781. That is so amazing. Well, we have some pictures here. I wonder if that... Somebody uh, else did the same thing, of course. Well, and then well, I thought, okay, it's under the tree, so it always gets covered with stuff, and that's probably why he had to stick well, it up, uh, too. Congratulations so on your persistence. <laughs> he was so enthusiastic, I just loved it. Let it go just a little bit longer, because there's a... Um, he says something very interesting about uh, research here in just a few seconds that I want to capture yet. Oh. Does it say it's... Oops, I don't want to... Chris, you take a picture of those two people plug. digging around in there because that's kind of, kind of neat and, uh, and, yeah. and, and interesting. <laughs> we definitely need some pictures like that. <laughs> uh, this uh, uh, writing about the 1700s okay. is definitely detective work. I figured that out. <laughs> yes, um, you're right. Now, there are walk. advantages, there are disadvantages, and guess what they are? If you're looking at a very modern story and that a whole bunch of people are still uh, very involved with, then you get all sorts of arguments. As, was it like this? Was it True. like that? Was it like the other? And nobody will remember quite exactly. And yeah. then they, they'll they'll disagree on how it all was. Well, if it's far back like it is here. No one's going to argue, at least. <laughs> very true. few people. Yeah, you can stop that. But that is very true. That's the one consolation I have here. So there's going to be very few people that are going to read it and tell me that's not right because I know what actually you know yeah right. that is incredible but that you found it it was so fun i wow. just it was like i said i think it was the highlight of wow. the of the whole thing just to know that that's where he was buried you know and did you notify anyone like we took a picture of it and we okay. corrected the picture on the internet because the one that was posted didn't show words even it looked like it had totally worn away so i don't think it was the right wow. one so wow yeah that was a highlight for what's, sure what's that website again Find a grave. Find Just a find grave. dash okay. a grave or something. If, yeah. Wow. Hmm. All right. We're getting yeah close close to the end. Uh, Jeff needs to leave here pretty soon. Um, what are well, one thing we'd wanted to ask you? We don't know if there's people out there that are writers or not. Or I guess everyone writes a little bit. But what are some of the tools that you use in your in your <laughs> writing? This will be like our our tech tip author edition. <laughs> yeah, I use Scrivener. Um, I I like it. I guess it's um, it's just a way of organizing your writing, and then I export it to. So like, you like you like type up everything in there, and you can yeah. keep your research and stuff in there, or like what you what all does do it do both. for you? It has it's kind of the way. Well, it's a little bit like OneNote with the tabs on the side. Oh yeah, sure. Um, so I can grab a chapter and you know move it to a different place, mm, or yeah. or move you know move them all under another heading okay. kind of thing so you so, but you would like put a different tab for each chapter too yes then okay yeah right which makes it a little then i have to export it into one long document oh, sure. in the yeah. end but and you can choose which ones you want to export probably or do you uh, just export right. all yeah. yeah 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 cool yeah so that's probably the main thing of course marnell has a lot of sound um, audio stuff that has helped me out too so when you send it in, like, do you have to, like, obviously you don't format it or anything like that. No. So you send it in as a PDF? Um, I even just send it as a Word document and let them take care okay, of it. Okay, sure, yeah. I mean, they change it all anyway to fit right. whatever criteria. Right, yeah. I was just wondering, like, as far as formatting and stuff like that, like, what makes it easy for them to... Well, yeah. I probably should ask. I mean, I don't know. Well, probably yeah, I don't, I don't know if they like. Do it better than I do. If you I would send them something, send and they'd say, "Hey, you can't do that. You got to send it this way," you know, or, right. or if they're not like that. They've at been all. really good to work with. The TGS has. I just, yeah, I'm spoiled. I think I'm sure a lot of other <laughs> publishing houses would be. Hmm. Uh, do you have any uh, apps that you use regularly in the writing process, whether it's research or actual writing? Um, I don't know. I do like um, voice recording. You know, if I don't have a recorder with me, I'll do that on my phone or take notes on just under like the. No, I don't. I don't think I have anything specifically just for hmm. for that. What do you do when you get writer's block, or do you never get writer's block? Oh, all the time. I basically had it all summer this year. Oh, very so, good. So yeah. Um. <laughs> If you really love to write, which I do, I think you just keep going and it comes back. 
I think that's the difference. Like, if you don't love to write, it's not, yeah, you, you just who, won't make who it. Who was I reading times. about that was super disciplined about writing and just like sat down and wrote so many, like, so much every. Mm-hmm. Was I reading about it, or did you tell me about it, or something like that? Maybe that is a definitely a, a very good technique. Like, like there was a person, yeah. there was a person that wrote like what was it, Layman's Raw or something like that. It was a, it was a big book, and he just sat down every day and wrote for X amount of minutes mm-hmm. and just wrote. Yeah. And then he just wrote and wrote and and and, and published tons of books in in short periods of time, and other people were envious of him just because he just like forced himself to write. Mm-hmm. And often, if you the more you write, the it comes back, or the better, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a good point too. How long? Uh, this is kind of getting off of the tech, the tech tip segment. But how long was it from like when you started researching Nicholas Garrison? Mm-hmm. Like, how long did you research until you actually started writing? Oh, not that long. I kind of started writing early on because it's kind of a process of uh-huh. I don't know if I can separate research and writing a lot. Oh, really? Okay. Maybe though, maybe a couple of months though till I really started the okay. main bulk of the writing. But most of so fair. so most of the time it was uh doing research and then writing a chunk and then doing some more mm-hmm. research, writing another chunk. Yeah. That more kind like of that. back and forth. So I did have something on paper before we went on the trip. I see. And then I came back and, of course, kind of reworked it and all okay. of that, too. But So how do you keep your research notes organized as you're writing? Um, <laughs> I'm probably, binder that you have. I've got this disaster. And I, honestly, I do have a bunch of stuff on my Scrivener, too. But if I really quickly wanted to, I have printed out his life story. And I would grab this so many times, just yeah. a quick turn to it and see, you know, what I... But, yeah, I've got it. Um, Scrivener's a good... I do use that a lot because it has mm-hmm. the research tabs and I put okay. stuff in there. And mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you you are a writer. You've written books. But you also have a weekly blog as well. Right. How does that... Uh, does the blog, do you kind of use that as your crafting tool where it's just like you want to keep on writing and that's something you can do regularly or what... Kind of like what Jeff said. I mean, I kind of force myself to write it once a week just to keep and so sometimes I, I always tell people if you want to write I mean if you're going to be consistent they're not always going to be that great and you just have to do it and you know but it works well for me otherwise I don't think I would be disciplined enough mm-hmm. just to think about writing sure. um, and this is an anti-tech tip which I suppose I'm not allowed to really say <laughs> on oh, no. this uh, podcast but this is just a great thing about Friday night and Jolene's uh, The Light of Grace bookstore I needed some gifts for my little nieces and nephews, like, um, you know, little books and stuff that I was going to get them. And I had them in my Amazon cart. And then I'm like, this is ridiculous because I'm going to the bookstore anyway. And I went there and she has just great, you know, I'm like, I can actually see this and feel it and touch it before just hitting buy. And uh, it's it's just so great to buy from a local person, Mm -hmm. too. So, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, check out her stuff, too. Uh, She she has a really nice selection. I do really like that bookstore. Yeah, yeah, and she's very helpful. And Mm -hmm. so just a little plug. Okay, Um, Okay. so that's we'll release this later tonight on Monday. So you've got, everyone's got, you know, five days, give or take, before the book signing. Book signing is Friday at Coppice Commons between 5.30 and 7? 5.30 and 7.30, I think is what it says. Yeah. But you can uh, follow Katrina on Facebook, and I'm sure there'll be updates there. Uh, More details on the book signing. Um, Okay, well, yeah, it was fun discussing this and uh, and having you join the podcast. And uh, any final questions, thoughts, Jeff, Layton? I, I had a I had a, a tangent question rolling around in my brain. Uh, this is a, a, a kind of halfway off the subject, but still on the subject of writing. Oh my! <laughs> and uh, so my brother-in-law has argued this point. And I want to see your opinion. So you you're writing this book as historical fiction, correct? Mm-hmm. Is there such a thing as fictional history? Or would you classify that as fictional history if somebody wrote a completely fictional story based in a certain time period and not based on a true event? I don't think you should call it history if you're going to have fic- – I mean, I guess ultimately history is, is everyone's perspective. But mine – this is biographical history because it's okay. written about a person. It's biographical, uh, fictional okay. history, so to speak. Yeah. 
But what you're describing is just historical fiction. Pick a time period okay. and create a story. So that would be it. that would be the historical fiction. Yes. Yeah. This is actually a specific kind of historical fiction mm. because it is about a real person, mm. which makes it a little harder, I think. I couldn't just make up because there is actually, yeah. you know, documents online of what his children's mm-hmm. names were and things like that. Wow. Does he have any descendants that are still known to be alive? I really wish I knew that. I did try to do some searching. Um, I don't know. I it's Probably. I mean, most likely. But I don't know for sure. It'd be mm. great to find them. I guess that would be the next search. Right. Layton's got something he wants to share, but anything, Katrina, from you before we wrap um, up? Not really. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I really, um, yeah, and I did, didn't think about it until getting here that uh, a paper book is probably not really your specialty on this <laughs> on this oh, podcast because no. you're, you're, you know, you do a lot more <laughs> digital electronic stuff, but um, which I do, yeah. But I think having an actual book to hold and curl up with in a in a chair, I don't think that's ever going to go away either. Um, no. And uh, so I, anyway, I but can't thanks get for away having from me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, Lynn, what's the point? The point is that number one, writers have to be okay with editors. Point number two, book signing at Coppice on Friday. Point number three. There is going to be even more ravings about this book. Get it? No. What church uh, is uh, Nicholas Garrison? Uh, uh, Moravians. That was that was that uh, was pretty, that was pretty low. About this book. I'll give it to you, but that was pretty low. Thanks. It was a stretch, but I had to do it. And point number four: If you need to find a grave, go to find a grave. Mm. Get All it? right. And what's our word of the week? Oh, can I do two words? Sure. Can be a proper noun. It's your pet. Nicholas Garrison. <laughs> <laughs>